Elizabeth Maxwell, returning champion, intercontinental, North American heavyweight champion, the woman, the myth, the legend. Every time I watch a television show that has any voiceover, the first thing I think is, did Elizabeth get robbed out of this role? That's the first thing I think. <laughs> Thank you for that, coming back. That's the thoughts I like to hear, Jason. <laughs> I forget what the, uh, the show is now, um, but it's some group of wayward, broken superheroes. And one, and one is Brendan Fraser's voiceover, and he's in an all-metal suit. But there's like, and the other gentleman, I forget his name, he was in white collar, and he's just wrapped in bandages. And, it's, and he doesn't, I mean, he's like a light. So he's wrapped in bandages. So it's like, it's all, it's like three people are doing voiceover work. There's one gal who is uber talented. She has, I don't know, she has like a hundred personalities and she interchanges between them. Wow. And yeah. so she did, but she changes really well. I mean, it's very impressive. I'm always impressed with flexibility, but I see that stuff and I'm like, come on, Brandon, you had the mummy, let it go. I got a friend over here. <laughs> That's how a lot of us feel in the commercial VO world now, because it used to be that like, you know, real actors with a capital A would never, would never stoop to doing commercial voiceover. And then, and so, you know, it all got to go to uh, us, you know, more no name, not A-list celebrities, but the A-list celebrities wisened up and, or they needed the money. <laughs> now, now Brian Cranston's doing all the car VO and, you know, who else? Uh, there's so many. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That are, that are doing, all doing the commercial voiceover now. Well, it's funny, right? There's like that idea that, oh, I, kind of, I don't know exactly who it is, but I recognize this voice. It's familiar. It's guiding to me. Mm -hmm. And then you also have Cranston who's probably looking at the check and going, well, I'm not going to embarrass myself doing, you know, Porky Pie 3, where I'm the bad guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's good. We're doing something uh, I've only done a couple of times. More people love this than anything because I don't talk as much. We're doing, one... <laughs> We're doing one of your movies, which, and it's not voiceover work. It's, it's you know, it's, it's you on the big screen here. Uh, give us a little insight into the movie that we will be talking over. Yeah, I, I'm so excited for this. Um, I, you know, I'm proud of, of a lot of the stuff I work on, but uh, getting to share on camera stuff is especially fun for me. And then I'm, I'm extraordinarily proud of this movie, this movie being 
virgin cheerleaders in chains. And literally one of the taglines is, no, it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it's a meta horror comedy um, that was written by this wonderfully talented and smart English professor named Gary McLean Ganaway, who is also a huge horror fan. And he combined his kind of academic knowledge and love of horror with his nerdy genre love of horror and created this great script that kind of subtly and intelligently and pokes fun at all the tropes uh, that we've come to love and associate with with the slasher film. Um, and I'm normally, full disclosure, I'm not actually a slasher horror fan. Ooh, that's um, a good question, so okay. Yeah, like I'm, I'm usually quite a bit more into the kind of like paranormal, um, sci-fi, uh, psychological type horror. Uh, I, I've, I've honestly never been a huge fan of, of the slasher subgenre. But when I read this script, I was blown away by how subtle and intelligent it was. And, uh, you know, when- Can I ask you a question about this? Because I, I find this interesting, yeah. right? You do, you find someone who writes a great film, has great insight, um, puts a unique spin on it, creates a unique storyline. Yet Hollywood would rather remake planes, trains, and automobiles than take a person here, they take this person here, or anyone for that matter, who's creating original content and bet on it. However, if you run the numbers, like dumb, dumb math, and you look at all the films at $50 million or more that have been successful versus failed, more have failed than one, A. Mm-hmm. And when you look at films with a budget of 20 million or less, more have won than failed. So what, and I don't, well, obviously this is Jason speaking and I don't want to put you in trouble with anyone in Hollywood, but I'm curious where you see the mindset that it's easier to focus on paying a hundred million dollars for something that's probably going to flop versus, and I don't know how much this film costs to make, but let's say it costs 10. They could have given an extra 10. Everyone could have gotten a raise. Right? <laughs> and some, you know, I just, I don't, I don't understand because it, it seems counterintuitive to a person who helps businesses grow and be successful that Hollywood finds a way to make sure that no matter how successful independent films are, that they don't back them. Well, and it's and it's funny that you're bringing this up, Jason, because this is this is the very query um, and and issue that one of the protagonists of the film is dealing with. It's it's a it's like I said, it's a meta horror comedy, so it's about uh, a group of independent filmmakers getting fed up with the Hollywood machine, and you know they're not writing a script that it's a sequel. And they don't have twenty-five million, you know, dollars to blow on a special effects budget, yeah. and so they can't get their script sold, and so they decide to screw Hollywood. We're going to just make our movie ourselves, 
and um, why this is, I mean, man, I guess we could delve pretty deeply into the psychology of the human mind. I mean, I think it's pretty well known that in general, human beings are averse to change um, and we like familiarity and comfort. Um, and I think that it's a combination of sometimes I think the studios don't give the fans enough credit that they mm. will support original content. But sometimes I think, unfortunately, it, it's kind of speaks to the viewing habits of people and that when you're, you know, just came off of a hard day at work and you want to veg out in front of the TV and watch Netflix or, you know, whatever, a lot of people are more likely to automatically turn to something that seems familiar than they are to gamble and take a chance on something completely new. Yeah, I like that. And by the way, folks, that was not a scripted question answer. That was <laughs> knowing that I watched the film and I teed it up a little bit. <laughs> but every once in a while I show up prepared. I get these assholes emailing and they're like, you didn't sound very prepared for this. And I'm like, listen. I, I was literally gonna say, did you ask that question on purpose? <laughs> so before we hit play on the movie, one thing I love to do, I've been loving to do, especially during this time of COVID, uh, small businesses, restaurants, breweries, coffee shops, you know, they make jam, they make honey, whatever it may be. They're hurting, obviously. Yep. They're hurting when it comes to workers. They're hurting when it comes to morale. It's tough. So with that said, um, if you could share the people out there one of your favorite places to that you love to go eat or get food delivered to or your favorite wine or whatever it may be that even if the listeners can't afford the food they could follow them on instagram give them a like send them a dm to say hey keep your head up i'm sorry money's tight for me but you know what i hope to come visit you just anything positive that can help these businesses see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah there's actually um there's a really wonderful, I mean, we're in Texas, so I got to promote some Tex-Mex. Oh, yeah. What There's you got? some really wonderful Tex-Mex that is just down the street from me. It's called El Naranjo, E-L-N-A-R-A-N-J-O, um, okay. which I believe, isn't that Spanish for orange, the orange? Oh, you're asking the wrong cat. They offered me four years of art. One semester of Spanish <laughs> in Big Fork, Montana. I took four years of art, and I still can't draw a stick figure. So, uh, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I should know this because I took three years of Spanish, but it has been a hot minute. It's been um, a couple, uh, and I did not come prepared, unlike you, Jason Jepson. Um, but El Naranjo is a really wonderful family-run restaurant. I'm a little biased because uh, the couple that owns the restaurant happened to be my boyfriend's next door neighbors, um, but they are wonderful people. Uh, they cook from their own traditions um, and it's actually a really lovely space. I'm so sad that we like can't, you know, eat in there right now, mm -hmm. um, but they do a great job with the takeout and I just, man, I it's been breaking my heart to, to scroll through Facebook these days and see all of the incredible Austin institutions that 
I know only from five years of, no, I've lived here for seven years now of living here, but that have been around for decades and, and to see a lot of them having to close. And, and it's, it's really lit a fire under me to try and when I do splurge and order takeout or make a purchase, I'm really trying to avoid chains and corporations and stick with, you know, true locally owned mom and pop places. So if any of you listeners are in Austin and you're on that bandwagon, check out El Naranjo. I love it. I love it. Uh, and I will check it out. I'm gone. I fly out tomorrow early in the morning, but I'm back Friday night. And then I've got a weekend and a whole week at home. And then uh, actually my daughter will be joining me on my business travels because. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I've got a companion pass on Southwest. That's so cool. And uh, teaching is virtual. So if we can, if I can, if I'm working at a Newport beach and we can get up early and get her homework done and get my work done, I'll leave the office and we can go swim and play at the, I mean, she doesn't know how cold the Pacific Ocean is. So she's thinking. Oh, she's in for a rude awakening. <laughs> well, I mean, we just, and we just did this. I think you'll appreciate this um, from me following you on Instagram and seeing uh, your relationship with your family and traveling with them. I grabbed her, just her and I alone. Wife flew to Florida. We rented a Mustang convertible and took a 16 hour road trip and turned it into a 27 hour road trip and only followed the ocean wow. all along past Houston. So went through the hurricane section only to stop at restaurants or convenience stores or anything that was open and buy one thing and then leave. <laughs> I'm here, you got a Snickers bar? Here's two bucks, I'll see you later. And they're like, huh? I'm like, I don't want the Snickers bar. You can keep it for all I care. I just wanted to buy something for you. I just want to show you that, that a lot of people care about you. And so we did the whole drive down. I mean, we went through, we saw, you know, sometimes you're driving in the Northwest or even around here and a deer gets hit by the, a car and it's off the side mm -hmm, of the road. Mm -hmm. We were going through some parks, alligators. And I'm talking like alligators, like 12 feet. It's seven feet cut in half, sitting there, all mouth open. <laughs> My daughter's like, is it gonna get us? Like, I hope not. <laughs> but I, it was beautiful to do the drive and just spend the time with her. Yeah. You know, you play the dumb games, I spy, and you're, you're just, and they're not dumb to her, and I, I don't mean it dumb. It's just, you know, you're just like, the things that mindlessly you would zone out on, now she's right there next to me. The top's down. We're going 40 miles an hour through a state park. We're looking at wildlife, and bugs are flying, and it's just... You know, like, do you, were we pulling over for pancakes? It's four in the afternoon. Do you want a pancake? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that, that's one of the things that I keep telling myself and my boyfriend keeps telling himself is that th there's a lot of awful uh, associated with this time and with the pandemic. But I do think that a lot of us are being given the gift of reprioritizing and shuffling around our time in a different way. Yep. And, and my boyfriend, you know, kind of said a similar thing in that he hasn't gotten to spend this much uninterrupted time with his son literally since he was born. That's awesome. And so, yeah, I think that it, it's important to 
as you're doing, do what you can to take advantage of it because it's not going to last forever. And there are parts of it that we are going to miss when it's gone. And I can tell you, I mean, I'm sure you probably know from your own experiences of being a child, but Harper is going to remember, like she's going to remember those memories for the rest of her life. You can hope so, right? I mean, you can cross your fingers, you can hope so. And uh, you just try to make it as positive, as, as fun as possible. And um, it is, uh, it's about those moments. I mean, you know, sons and daughters are special. As you know, you've got, you've, I mean, your, your boyfriend has a, has a son, but you've also, you're a daughter, you know, and you mm-hmm. know, it, you're special. And um, in a time of chaos, that being special shouldn't be lost, especially for kids. Mm-hmm. They just shouldn't. As adults, guess what? Toughen up. You know you're special. Look, <laughs> I love you. Zip it. Get on. <laughs> Not as forgiving or as loving to the adults. Hey, but Jason. I, yeah. I think you're pretty special. Well, thank you very much. I think <laughs> you're pretty special as well. Let's hit play on this movie, shall we? Okay, hold on one second. Let me Where's just it? make sure. That I've got it. Well, you are. Well, you're making sure you've got it queued up. Oh, and as soon as oh. you hit play, you let me know, and I'll hit play. Um, I did want to say while you're doing that, at least I can find it here. Of course, my daughter reorganized my desk. God bless her, and that means it's really not organized, and that's okay. But um, I wanted to give a shout out. We were, uh, and I cannot find this. Obviously, I have lost my mind, or where I put it. But um, I will say to give a little shout out. We are getting ready. Uh, infamous Brewing here in Austin, Texas. Oh. You know, they're great people. They're out of Westlake. Uh, I know Infamous, yeah. yeah. You know, I'd like to you know, give them a little love. Uh, they've been very kind. Uh, CC, uh, the GM over there, and, and, and everybody's been very kind and working hard that, you know, we don't lose any more Texas breweries. We lost a couple, but um, their, uh, their unique branding and their beautiful style of, of making beer, they've done an excellent job. And um, you know, uh, give, I want to give them a little love. And then I picked up some random IPAs and what have you throughout Florida and uh, Alabama and Louisiana. And <laughs> my poor daughter's like, are we stopping because you're going to make me go to the bathroom or because you just want a six pack of beer from someplace? <laughs> I'm like, ah, She's a smart cookie. The smart kid. She's, She's smart a little cookie. too smart. A little too smart. She gets me um, I was going to tell you, I've been, I've been drinking the heck out of um, Infamous Brewery's uh, Sex Appeal um, Great this beer. summer. Yeah. Uh, have you had that one? I've had that one. I just finished a Bugsy, which is their, uh, their red, their amber ale, the little uh, Bugsy. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I am a, um, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, anything along the lines of like Hefeweizen, um, you know, whip beer you know all of that family mm-hmm. and um they put grains of paradise in their hefeweizen the sex appeal Are you and yeah it is it lends it the most unique subtle because you know a lot of hefeweizens have a little bit of a spice note to them because they add in the coriander yep. which is like a really common one but the grains of paradise gives it just like this different kind of exotic spice note to it. And it's so good. <laughs> I, I mean, I, look, 
we're very blessed. We live in a, in a beer rich community where a lot of people make really, really good beers. Uh, as a person who travels a lot, I can say that's not the case <laughs> in every neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm, I might, I might be uh, drawn and quartered by some of my old friends for saying this, but having lived in California and moved to Texas, both of which are known hotspots for craft brewing, uh, I can tell you, I not just prefer, but like strongly heads over tails prefer Texas beer to California beer in general. (laughs) Oh, I'm, I mean, I spent 20 years in Southern California, worked, launched six different breweries couple in Montana, some in Arizona, some in California. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know what else is shocking? You know who else has really good beer better than California? And I hate to give them any credit and love because we should have 49 states. Florida has amazing craft breweries. Really? <laughs> amazing. Oh, I've... Real delicate balance of flavors that match the heat and the sunshine and the humidity with a refreshing IPA that doesn't taste like a candy bar. Are you recording an ad right now? (laughs) (laughs) It should be in Florida. X out the first part where I say we should, you should, you know, put a wall around you, but (laughs) they're really good. I'm super impressed with Florida, the Florida breweries, Um, especially for the, for the temperature. Yes, ma'am. You're making me want a beer, so I'll be right back. (laughs) Yeah, go get a beer. I'm (laughs) going to, I'm going to go grab something from my fridge. So Elizabeth, she's going to, Ms. Maxwell is going to go grab something from her fridge as she does that folks. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're recording this over Zoom. This is the private one. It's very interesting. Uh, your, everyone's feedback from um, our, uh, our recording in Nomadic Breweries, uh, you know, the noise, and then this is the more pure sound. Obviously that was done in the brewery, folks. That's why there was a background noise. Oh, she's got a frosted glass. She's come a professional. She is mm-hmm. ready. I've got like ice on a paper towel sitting around two beers and she's professional pour, doing it right. Ladies and gentlemen. Can I say, I was a bartender for years before I I was able to make a living as an actor, so. (laughs) I love it. All right, you ready to hit play, my friend? I am. Tell me when you do it, I will. So um, I'll do three, two, one, and then we hit play after one, yeah? All right, all right, lethal weapon, let's do it. (laughs) Three, two, one got it dark side releasing i like it yeah so it's funny i um i was uh in chase so that there's only been a couple times i've had the privilege to talk with someone who's been in the movie or created the movie i did mother's little helpers with kestrin and uh, she wrote directed and actually acted a little bit in the movie acted a lot of it in the movie as well and uh, it was fun to, uh, to talk with her because it's always interesting to get the insights, right, of what's happening mm-hmm. and what's going on. What, obviously, I think the last movie shot in perfect sequence, right, was E.T., <laughs> right? I think that was the last one. There's the boom mic, I love it. But that was like the last movie shot in sequence. How does it feel when you're shooting a movie out of sequence? Well, it really forces you to develop a strong relationship with your director. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, 
which I, I am a, a, I, I, that's what I like to do anyways. That's my default. But as an actor, when I prep for a film, there's a lot more prep of the script work that I have to do because you do have to understand the overall arc of the film and the overall arc of each scene a lot better to be able to quickly put yourself in the right place when you're shooting out of order. But hopefully your director can also really set the scene for you and lay the emotional groundwork as well. I was going to ask, what's emotionally, what is that like to bounce like that? How exhausting is that? Um, I don't know if I would say it's any more exhausting. Maybe just because it's how it's always been. You know, it's like <laughs> I've never experienced anything super different. I guess when you do a play, that's different. Sure. Um but especially with voiceover too, this happens a lot where you have to create these very isolated moments in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, is, it is exhausting and it does take a lot of focus, but it's, I guess it's just all in a day's work. It's kind of what you expect. <laughs> on, on the big scenes, knowing that there's a big scene, let's say the next day it's not a big scene. And what I mean by that is emotionally, right? A lot of crying getting yourself, how do you get yourself worked up? Oh, every project and every scene is going to be a little different. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do some, I forget what the technique is called to be perfectly honest. um, Because I don't pay. We're going to call call it the Maxwell. (laughs) It's not the Maxwell, but we can call it this for now. (laughs) Where, uh, you you basically find ways to trigger sense memory within a scene. Like say you're arguing with somebody in a scene. Mm-hmm. You look at kind of like your own life and you're like, who can I think of that would elicit a similar emotional response from my own life? And how can I kind of like imagine them in the scene or, or use that relationship to, uh, you know, to inspire but for me really at the end of the day when you're actually there and you're ready to shoot the most valuable thing is just to clear all that prep work out of your mind and be as present as possible because that's really where the emotion comes from is relying on the stimulus from your scene partner and just being there and being as as truthful and responding as truthfully to that stimulus as you can Nice. Very nice. Hey, can you uh, put your movie on mute? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Just otherwise, um, someone at iTunes will send me a nasty grin. <laughs> They'll be like, hey, I think I heard something. Did you license that? And I'll go calm down, iTunes. Here's 30 seconds. Uh, so <laughs> I'm curious, um, you know, that's uh, the difference and obviously there's, you know, there's a big difference in acting and voiceover work. But I'm, I'm in those differences. Do you see a difference in yourself when you come home after a day of work? Or, you know, versus being on set after a day of work versus a day of, let's say, a voiceover work? Do you, um, 
like do you see yourself sliding into a character more when you're acting versus doing voiceover work or um does it does it come through you the same way in in general i'd say it comes through similarly but there is something to be said for a lot of times when you're working with on-camera stuff for film and TV, especially with film, especially, especially with independent film, you do oftentimes end up spending a heck of a lot more time on set and embodying that character. So I would say that the work of pulling myself out of a character or a character's circumstances can take longer or be harder when I'm coming off of a film set than okay. when I'm doing voiceover. Okay. Um, how does, how does um, <clears throat> if you've done a film and let's say, uh, and then you go see your parents, mm -hmm. do they recognize, they're like, hey, <laughs> is this the character? Like, wh where is Elizabeth? <laughs> Usually, yes. Um, yeah, I I don't tend to, I don't tend to take the character it themselves home with me too much. If anything, sometimes it can be difficult if you're dealing with um, a really dark character or a character who's been through a lot. Sometimes it can be difficult to shake off that emotional place that they live in. Um, but in terms of like actually transforming myself so much that friends or family are like, who, what, what, what is going on? Who are, who are you channeling? That doesn't tend to happen quite so much. And if it does happen, it usually tends to be like after a couple of drinks and I'll start inhabiting some of the more zany voiceover characters that I've played. Um, that that is the most common <laughs> All right. i like that i like that a lot there are um from voiceover work to acting there are and i like to get these questions out of the way as the movie's getting ready as it's you know warming up here from voiceover work to acting everyone um there's always you know the the armchair quarterback and i can do that we just read the lines what do you <laughs> what do you say to someone to share what the difficulty is in, um, because it doesn't sound like you're reading lines. It doesn't look like you're acting. It looks like you're there. It looks like there weren't lines. It looks like you're just talking. Uh, how, do you, how do you let people know that it's more than art, right? That it's discipline in, um, in, in doing what you do? Well, I this goes along with it, but I think one of the interesting things, and, and I don't fault people for not knowing this because quite frankly, I didn't know this until I was about ready to graduate with a BFA in theater from a university, but Is that not, a big fucking academic, a BFA? Well, it's a Bachelor of Fine Arts. It's just, you know, it's a four-year degree where you, you know, you after you get done with your general ed classes and your freshman and sophomore year, basically your junior and senior year are typically just, you know, classes associated with your degree. Perfect. Yep. Um, but not only is there an incredible amount of time and effort that goes into learning the 
practical techniques of acting, whether that's how to deal with a microphone, like how, how, like you actually have to perform in a certain way when you're dealing with a microphone. How do you perform differently on camera versus on stage? There's the artistic side of things. How do you create characters? How do you um, give them an inner life? All of that, the artistic side, which is incredibly time consuming and very detailed. But not only that, in order to be a successful working artist in this day and age, you also have to be a business person. Like there is a whole business side to the industry that I never really knew about. Um, there's the marketing that you have to do of yourself. Uh, in voiceover particularly, there's like the daily grind of auditions. Like I, most of my time as a voice actor is not spent performing, it's spent auditioning. I literally spend, oh, let's see. I'd say I spend close to 25 to 30 hours a week auditioning. So if you take that into what you get paid for your voiceover work, mm -hmm. your hourly <laughs> rate goes way down. It does. <laughs> it I mean, does. Because I, and I bring that up not as a knock, I bring that up as, as, a, as a fair representation of the amount of work that it takes to get a job. Mm -hmm. And that some people, they'll look at someone and go, oh, you got paid, you know, my, I had a friend who was in a Honda commercial years ago. Mm -hmm. It went national. She's like, and she was also in, what was it, Wedding Crashers, and she's in a couple other big blockbuster movies. She's all, take the blockbuster movies and you can put them over in section A. And I'll mm -hmm. take national commercial work in section B all day long because it pays so much. Mm -hmm. She goes, but the amount of hours you spend auditioning for commercial work because it seems like every Tom, Dick, and Harry will run to the commercials versus a movie, mm -hmm. except for the real arrogant ones. <laughs> Me, I'd be the one going, is it a Spielberg? It's a Spielberg? All right, I'll audition. They're like, you have no credit. <laughs> like, I'm pretty good. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're, you're going through, those poor people have to go through the bullshit of people to get to the right person and to find the perfect person. And she goes, all of that work and all of those hours also brings that rate way down if you actually mm -hmm. are paying yourself by the hour. Mm -hmm. So to your yep. point of being a business person, you have to understand all those things. Mm -hmm. you know, I, don't, I don't think people realize that. You know, I, I like to put it out there because I think respect needs to be paid not to the check, but to the effort. Yeah, and you know, I, I've said many a time and I'll consider to say, consider, continue, not consider, <laughs> continue to say it, that to me, I know I'm biased, but actors are some of the bravest people I know because we literally, in order to do our jobs well, we have to constantly bear our souls day in and day out. And you bear your soul fully knowing that you are most likely going to be told, no, you don't look right. No, we don't want you. No, you're not famous enough. Like you, you have to open yourself up emotionally to be told no all the time 
just waiting for those golden few moments when you get told yes and it makes it all worth it. How does that how does that affect you mentally going into a day knowing you're going to hear more no's than yeses? I I think that I am am lucky in that I do feel like I have a good ability to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have pretty thick skin and I am pretty good about concentrating on something, doing my best work and then immediately shelving it and just being like, that's it, I'm done. Like put it out of my brain, you know, like, if I ever hear anything back again, phenomenal, but I'm not gonna think about it again. But there are those few times, like there, there have been a handful of times in my life where for some reason a role or a project just resonated so strongly to me that I, I got, my, the stakes were high. I got really personally invested. And then when those don't work out, those are the doozies. Those are yeah. the ones where it can knock me on my ass for a week or sometimes even a month where I cry and I question like, why am I doing this? Like, am I any good? Is anybody ever going to want me? Like, um, And I think you just kind of have to like be gracious with yourself when that happens and lean on your friends and lean on the people that you trust and love to kind of prop you back up. And then eventually like with any heartbreak, the sting will fade and you get back up and you start doing it all over again. And, and go ahead. I'm sorry. And to me, it's like, I feel like sometimes I don't want to give people the wrong impression because I feel like it's easy to harp and hound on, on the difficulties that, this profession presents, but I really do view acting as like a love affair. You know, it's like, it will, it's hard work. It's a relationship that you have to work on day in and day out. And it will break your heart. Like it absolutely will break your heart, but it's a testament to how deeply and soulfully in love with it I am that it's like, I've dedicated my life to this, you know, like acting is my, is my soulmate. <laughs> how, how great do you feel? I mean, having the, the, um, the extra arrow and the quiver of voice acting, especially, you know, with what's been going on in the world, that, um, that you have the flexibility that you can be on screen, you can do television, you can do commercials, you can do movies but you're also internationally famous for doing voiceover work. You are, come on, I follow you on Instagram. You're, you, you, you're like, I'm going to Japan because these people love me and I've got this you know, video game and da, 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 people love it. So are you, do you feel a little piece of, um, of happiness and a little more security because of the flexibility you've built into your profession? Absolutely. I, I am a very lucky woman right now in that I, I do voiceover. I still have the option to do voiceover from home. And 
I already have an established career. Like I already have clients who come to me on a regular basis. So compared to a lot of people right now, I consider myself very lucky. Um, And, you know, I guess it's as a businessman yourself, you know that there's definitely something to be said about getting real specific and being really good at one thing, but there's also something to be said for diversifying. And that's kind of what I chose to do when I moved to Austin from LA seven years ago, is I kind of made the choice that if I want to be able to keep making a living doing what I love, I need to expand my skill set and expand the job opportunities that yeah. I can make myself available for. Nice, nice question, burning question in my head. Mm-hmm. And it goes on every film set, but because of this film set and what I've seen, is the wine <laughs> real, is the weed real? <laughs> no. Damn it. No, I, was I don't. I to acting real quick if that wine and weed was real. <laughs> I have never been on a set where they have given us real fun things <laughs> i gotta take you to some sets <laughs> i've had the privilege to uh follow some people onto some sets and uh i will say sometimes those trailers get deliveries and those deliveries are fantastic well and i i'm, I'm sure that certain people can um you know, kind of command that kind of clout. But I will say personally that um, some people have this crazy ability to imbibe and have it add to their performance. I am the type of person, I really have to separate my work and my play. Like, I do not combine the two. And it's like this, this one beverage that I'm enjoying with you during this podcast, like that's kind of like my limit for when I'm like, I need to be on point and, you know, well-spoken. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's, you know, it's, and people get tired of hearing this and I don't care because I'm going to donate my body to science anyways, but I mean, I've never had a hangover. I, and I've never, I mean, I'm talking never had a hangover from LSD. I've never had a hangover from shrooms, too much weed, too much booze my body just really loves it. And, then <laughs> <it go. laughs> and so, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I'll, you know, it, 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 it I mean, I will have people that I work with at like one in the afternoon. God, can someone go get Jepson a beer? He's so much more fun to work with. <laughs> can we get, can we get Jason a fridge? I mean, I've had offices go, just for when he visits. Can there be a fridge under his desk with a six pack of beer? That'd be great. <laughs> I've known many like you. Well, never, <laughs> never one that hasn't had a hung, hangover. You are unique in that. Um, I am not in that band camp. Not many people are. It's okay. That's why I'm going to donate my body to science, you know? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, so, you Loan know, you. We were, we were talking before we started recording, we were talking about how you like the paranormal. So I have this dream and I want you to go down this road with me for a second, because I'm really excited about it. And I know you're gonna be excited about part of this, but I kind of want you to be excited about another part of it, all right? Okay. 
So let's assume in November, Trump loses. Mm-hmm. Right? You're already you're like, I don't like where this is going. This is what I want him to do, though. Because if we go back the last three or four months, right? Or even six months, we have seen in the New York Times, uh, we have seen on multiple outlets, the Pentagon and acknowledge that they have crafts that were not made on planet Earth, that they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fraber is F-16 encounter with the, the, the tic-tac that they have on video where it's moving around, they can't find it. You know, and then you have this goofy in the middle of all this, you have this really goofy Donald Trump, and I forget his son's name, interviewing him for whatever podcast saying, but I want to know about the UFOs. You know, and he's like, well, they're the greatest UFOs because they're the UFOs of America. And of course, they're the greatest UFOs that landed when I was president, which make them the greatest crashes of all the greatest UFOs, <laughs> of the crashes that could be UFOs. <laughs> so I, I, I want Trump to lose so that he can just, on his way out, he just grabs the microphone and he goes, the UFOs, they're over here. <laughs> There's seven. <laughs> There's two dead guys. <laughs> and we don't need gasoline anymore. I'll see you guys later. Good night. And then he just leaves and disappears forever. I mean, that would be amazing. So would it make like it the, all worth it? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the guy who invented blockchain. We don't know who invented blockchain. Everyone thought it was a bullshit technology. No one knew it existed or it would work. Bitcoin was, you know, a dollar for 30 Bitcoins. And now look where it's at. I'm saying, I don't necessarily it would all be worth it. But damn, it would come pretty close. It would at least... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would it would somehow make some sort of like awful comedic sense. <laughs> right? I mean, you, listen, two things before you go. You realize you're going to lose, legalize all drugs and tell me where the UFOs are. I'm not going to call it a wash, but I'm going to say you're one, you're one sixteenth of a millimeter better than Nixon. So good for you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> these are I like your thought experiment. <laughs> these are the dreams that I have where I'm just like, hey, listen, if we're gonna be in a shit storm, let's make it a cool shit storm. <laughs> like stop making it a bad one. It's been a really bad one lately. Can we make it at least awkwardly amusing? Like how much cooler would it be for the QAnons and all the other people out there, right? that all of a sudden they're now focused on, now it's ancient aliens. Now it's the dude with the weird hair and the big medallion. Now he's on ABC with Stephanopoulos once a week talking about aliens and the bullshit. Have you ever watched that ancient aliens? No. Okay, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than watching a person look and go, as you can see from maps in 1792, the river flowed this way. And in 1992, it changed. And also in 1992, in October 7th at 6.45 p.m., two people were camping and they met a UFO. And after that UFO came, the river changed. They'll leave out a flood and they'll leave out that someone built a dam upstream. They're going to leave those things out. My blood pressure is already rising. I don't know, I don't know if I would be able to get through one of these. <laughs> the, the rational jumps, right? Just the mental leaps of faith are awesome and they're hilarious and so i watch and i have to be either boozy or high to watch them 
otherwise I can't, 10 minutes in, I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is not how statements work. This is not how science works. This is not how anything works. <laughs> but if you're a little high, and they've got some podcast or some show on Vice, where there's like three guys that get baked out of their mind, and then they watch Ancient Aliens and still make fun of it. If you can be so high that you don't know your name and you can still make fun of an expert on ancient aliens, it shows how shitty that show is. <laughs> and I'm in. I would totally, uh, I, I would be down for some like mystery science theater, master pancake, like action on one of these shows. <laughs> oh yeah. Or just even just all the videos that they've compiled where they think the aliens are real and do a mystery science theater. And that's just playing and you've got some talking heads and obviously smoke coming up past them. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> These are the dreams I've. So what are your in the paranormal world? What are what are some of your favorite paranormal movies? Mm. Um let's see. I have always had a soft spot for Event Horizon. I was just gonna bring that up. That, mm -hmm. That's a terrifying movie. Mm -hmm. Great acting. Terrifying. And it actually holds up pretty well. Yeah. Who's the main guy? He's terrifying. Ends oh, up getting possessed uh, at the very end, driving the ship, eyes rolling back in his head. It's not um it's not Bill Paxton, but I kind of confuse them. Isn't it the guy from Jurassic Park? Yes, it is. Oh, why can't I? I and I'm not allowed to. Uh Sam Sam Elliott, you know, Roadhouse. Uh -huh. I, was, I was talking with Jason Dick. We did Roadhouse. He had never seen it. And I called Sam Elliott, Sam Donaldson, throughout the whole movie. Hmm. That's cute. It's not. <laughs> I only recently saw Roadhouse for the first time, like, a couple of years ago. <laughs> there was nothing greater. Two, two of the greatest things to show Jason Dick. One, when he wakes up in the barn, he's always like, you know, half buck naked, uh -huh, pulling pants uh -huh. on, showing his ass. Uh -huh, and then uh -huh. the throat ripping out scene where all of a sudden, because I lulled him into it. I started talking about politics and Dick does not want to talk about politics. He's like, I, I told you, we don't talk about this bullshit. Nope, nope, nope. And he's just shaking his head, looking at me. And then he rips the throat up <laughs> and you hear this, Jesus Christ, is this Mortal Kombat? Did you just change the channel? <laughs> <laughs> that and the him doing Tai Chi half naked outside. So I do my Tai Chi, uh, so I can't judge. Also really, really enjoyed that moment. He's, um, a, he's a handsome, um, doesn't, doesn't seem to hit a lot of french fries kind of guy. Now, I ask you this. Sure. Would you, I feel like, <laughs> and I'm curious if you agree, I feel like there are two kinds of people in life. You got your Patrick Swayze types, huh? and you got your Kurt Russell types. Okay, Patrick Swayze, Kurt Russell types. Mm -hmm. right, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like people are either in the Patrick Swayze band camp, or they're in the Kurt Russell band camp. And I feel I, like you can tell a lot about a person depending on which camp they're in. <laughs> I would, I would throw one more person in there. Okay. Dennis Quaid. I'll buy it. Just because he's, a, he's got his band. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
did I ever, I mean, we, we talk so much, right? <laughs> a couple of D, you know, a couple of, couple of comments under pictures. Uh, so I, I hung out with Dennis Quaid uh, probably, gosh, it's been a long time. I think it's been eight years now. So eight years ago, uh, <clears throat> a band called The Bravery came into Austin, Texas. Oh, I know The Bravery. I mean, not know them, but I know of them. So I ran into their tour manager and mm -hmm. they were there, they were going to close out South by and they were there for a whole week and like four gigs and didn't know what to do. And so I bump into this guy, I'm talking to somebody, you know, me, chatty, chatty. And, uh, he's, uh, he goes, well, can you help? Can you, can the band hang out with you? <laughs> like, Shit, I don't care. So like the first night we go to Dirty Bill's. And we are drinking whiskey and John Popper and the bravery are singing Eddie rabbit hits to the jukebox. It was awesome. End of the week. It's the last showcase for South by and the bravery's closing out and we're with them backstage and uh, Dennis Quaid comes and he wants to go out and sing with them. And he walks in and we're backstage and we're waiting to, you know, hanging out with the bravery, waiting for them to go on. And he's like, Hey, Hey. And he points to me and he goes, Hey, I'm like, hey, buddy. He goes, how, how have you been? <laughs> and I was like, pretty good. He goes, it's been a while. And I'm like, mm, yeah. Well, what does that mean? He goes, I know you. I'm like, we don't know each other. <laughs> he goes, no, I know you. And I go, I'm going to get these out of the way real quick. I'm from Montana. I know you have a place in Montana, but my where I'm from is eight and a half hours away from where your place is. And I never went down to that city except for one time in 1988 to play basketball. So, nope, doesn't work. I also lived in LA. I know, you live there too. I lived at Fairfax and Genesee, right next to CBS Studios in old Russia. If you didn't do stuff at CBS at the time I was there, da, 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 I would just went on a whole list. And now I'm here and your place is in fancy, the lake area, and I live next to a cemetery. And the places where I drink, you don't drink. We don't know each other, but they think he, he puts, he sits down next to me and he puts his arm around me and he goes, we're going to figure this out. We know each other. Here, <laughs> he goes, here, take my number. And I said, no, no, greatest mistake I've ever made. No, no, no. If we really know each other, we'll bump into each other again. It's all good. He's like, great. Passes me a joint. We smoke a little bit, have a couple beers. He goes on stage, performs, come back, ask me what I thought. We hang out the rest of the night till about 3.34 in the morning and then we go home separate places. I haven't seen him or talked to him since. <laughs> He'll get on Instagram and I'll just be like, hey bro, it's Jason. How are you? What's going on? Bro. That's it. No, I've never gotten a response. They're like, hey, we, you said we were best friends. You said we knew each other. Come on a podcast. No responses. So he's this quirky, unique individual who I think has this very, um, interesting lane in Hollywood that I, the, the other two gentlemen you mentioned also have a very interesting lane. He just has also wrapped up some music and unique, sometime wins, most time losses, television experiences. <laughs> you know, as he's gotten older, he's played bad guys because he looks a little crazy. Um, he likes to marry 20 year olds. There's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> it says a lot about a Dennis Quaid fan especially recently. Like if you like old, old Dennis Quaid, kind of like if you like old, old anyone out, you're like, oh, okay. But new Dennis Quaid, it gets a little quirky. So who do you like in, in, the, in that grouping? Who, is, who do you follow? Who, who, do, who would you think 
that what whose camp would you think I'm in? I mean, I would think you're in the Swayze camp because of the pajama Tai Chi and and Ghost with My is it Demi or Semi more? <laughs> My friends, <laughs> I am you know, Kurt Russell you know. or Bust. I like that. Okay, all right, Kurt Russell or Bust. Oh God, yes, I love that man so much. I, I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is in my top three movies of all time. It's a great film. That's a great it, film all the way around. I don't think there's a weak point in any moment of that film. I, I would agree. I would agree. Um, fantastic performances. Lopan, one of the greatest villains of all time, in my humble opinion. Uh, Jack Burton, one of the greatest... Uh, anti-heroes of all time in my opinion um but yeah I love Kurt Russell I love most of his work I'm a big fan I'm not saying that everything he does is cheesy action but I am a huge fan of cheesy action um and he inhabits it in a way that elevates it to me you know mm -hmm. ah I don't know, I, don't know. I, I would I would say that and I don't mean, this is going to sound bad, but I think Sylvester Stallone at one point in time had an opportunity to beat Kurt Russell in some of the cheesy action and didn't have the depth to do it. I would agree. I, I think that Sylvester Stallone is not without, um, he's not without chops or talent. Obviously, okay. I mean... Obviously, we know that he does, but I don't know. There's something about, I feel like Kurt Russell was really good at, he could be the deadpan, you know, intense action hero, but he could just as easily pivot and make fun of himself isn't the right word, but he could do comedy as well as he could do intense action. Oh, he, didn't, he didn't always take himself too seriously. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, and, I think there's very few people in Hollywood that do that. I am um, blessed to know one that doesn't take herself seriously. And uh, it's interesting to go sit and hang out with her because she doesn't want to talk about movies or TV shows or actors she knows. She wants to have a conversation with you. She wants to talk about your day and what's going on in life. And she can make fun of what she's done, right? Uh, being on 90210, she can talk about the friends she made there. There's all of it, but she's not caught up in it. You know, it's, a, it's one of the reasons why I like you and, uh, and your troop of, of ladies on Instagram. You know, that, that quality group of actresses that you have, have around you. It's fun to watch you all and follow like Amy and others because you work so hard and you're so talented, but you're not so serious, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, don't, I don't think I'm to the point where I have to worry about this yet, but I've always really appreciated, I think it's so easy or it seems easy watching celebrities for them to get 
a bit wrapped up in their own persona. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the reasons why I enjoy Kurt Russell so much, I've never met him in person. So this is all just like observations and, and me making assumptions to a certain degree, but he did seem like one of those actors who didn't get wrapped up in his own persona. Yeah. You know, it's like he never thought his shit didn't stink. <laughs> no, I mean, I would say that, uh, and, and I get caught up in it and I've never met him. Um, I would, you know, there's, I think there's a couple people. I've met one, I haven't met the other, right? So I've met Jeff Goldblum a couple times. And he does not think his shit doesn't stink. He's the nicest guy in the world. He was playing in a jazz band in Hollywood <laughs> like 15, 18 years ago. And I went and saw him. And he walked by. I was just like, that was amazing, man. And he put his arm around me and he goes, thanks, man. That's super cool. Are you sticking around for the next set? Come on. I am now. <laughs> I am, I, you invited me. I have to. I so get that, you know, or, um, or, and I haven't met him, but I'm just a fan of Yellowstone, Kevin Costner, who my friend is his neighbor and swears up and down. He's the most down home country boy in the world. Um, but I, you know, I'm with you. I see those people and it makes me like them more, uh, because there's a little too much, you know, some, sometimes pretentious is funny. Right. And there's only been a couple people in my heart of hearts that I can see that makes pretentious funny. And I still like them. <laughs> no, Daniel Tosh. I, I have not met him, <laughs> but he is, I mean, his standup, he's openly pretentious. He's like, I'm better than you. You guys are savages. You don't fly first class, but he makes it funny. And notably, very private person, gated property in Malibu, doesn't have celebrities over, doesn't do it like he, he's, he likes to be private. But there's still, even in the asshole attitude, he's still like this, you know, you're still like, oh, well, that's kind of funny though. I get you. Okay. But that's one of very few versus I've bumped into others, you know, with friends who know them. And they won't even talk to you because you're not an actor or someone that can move their career forward. They won't even, they're like, I'm sorry, I'm talking to, you know, <laughs> my counterpart over here. And I'm like, okay, your counterpart asked me a question. You don't need to answer while I'm here. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I got to get out of here, man. I'm, I'm sorry. It's interesting, right? Um, what's it like? being on the set, especially a set like this, what's the, is it, is it a community and a family? I know that, that scheduling is, is sometimes off. So are you more just with the, the people that you're on screen with? Is that, is that kind of your primary family or is the whole cast more of your family? Well, you know, th this particular movie was interesting because of, of many of the movies that I have filmed of late, it was the largest cast. Okay. And for the most part, until the end of the movie, when, you know, people start getting picked off. How dare you? Um, <laughs> it, it is a horror film. Um, we were largely all in the same scenes together. So usually, yes, with film sets, you don't get to see the whole cast all that often because you're usually only in a scene with a couple of people at one time. But this was a unique experience in that I was with the 
the majority of the cast for the majority of the filmmaking process. And it definitely changes the, you know, the kind of the vibe and the camaraderie for sure. Do you, um, do you keep in touch with anyone from the film? Mm-hmm. Um, Kelsey Probilski, who uh, is um, the other female lead, the blonde female lead in mm-hmm. this film, her and I have become um, good friends. And if I can take a moment to shamelessly plug her, uh, she actually put together um, in the last year a phenomenal podcast herself called Gawkward. Um, where she interviews people about those kind of like really awkward adolescent uh, years in their life. Um, It's hilarious. Uh, Her Instagram for Gawkward is hilarious, particularly if you were a child of the 80s and 90s. (laughs) Okay. Um, And uh, the, the director of this film is a crazy talented dude named... Paulo Biscaya Filho, and he's actually Brazilian. He uh, flew out to Austin to direct this film, uh, but he is insanely talented and just a really wonderful human being. And he and I still keep in touch um, online. I wish I got to see the Brazilian part of this team more. Um, sadly not. I did get to go. The first premiere that this film had was actually an international premiere in Brazil. It Ooh. premiered at a horror film festival uh, in, in uh, the, the Brazilian state of Paraná mm-hmm. in Curitiba. And uh, so I actually did get to go to Brazil for that film festival for the premiere. How'd you like that? Um, it was a trip. I wish that I had gotten to go for longer. Um, I didn't get to see as much as I would have liked, but it was beautiful. The people were so friendly. Um, It was interesting seeing Halloween in another country Mm -hmm. because the Brazilians are getting into Halloween but I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world that loves Halloween in quite the way that Americans do. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see how another culture kind of celebrates it. And uh, Curitiba specifically, uh, Paulo kind of likened it to being the Austin of Brazil in that it's one of the greenest cities and mm-hmm. eco-friendliest cities in Brazil. Um we went to this park and the city's solution for maintaining the park, instead of employing lawn maintenance people running, you know, gas powered lawnmowers or, you know, the little sit on lawnmowers. um, They brought in a herd of capybaras. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Capybaras. Mm -hmm. Which, do, do, are you familiar yeah. with, with what I spent, I spent some time in Brazil. Uh, okay. Your, your tax dollars. Sent, the Department of Commerce sent uh, my buddy and I down there to um, rework uh, voice over IP uh, communications, cell phone to cell phone and computer to cell phone integrations through uh, mobile applications that were faster than Cisco's direct lines. Nice. Okay. Um, so thank you yeah. for paying your taxes. Oh, you are so welcome. I do do that. Um, 
but yeah, they, uh, this park just lets a herd of capybaras live in the park and they roam around and they eat the grass and they keep the vegetation maintained. Interesting. I was, uh, I was listening to this, it, it, your, your comment reminds me of this book that I uh, just got done, finished at Confessions of an Economic Hitman. <laughs> okay. So it talks about how uh, rich countries and um, all the majors, right? US, China, and Russia and England have been doing this for years. Uh, China most notably has been a lot smarter in how they do it. But essentially what it is, is it's ensuring that poor countries stay poor and rich countries stay rich. And, uh, you know, you go to a developing country and you're like, hey, let's get you a port, let's get you an airport, let's get you electricity everywhere. And then you give them this, you know, loan from the World Bank, but the interest rate is so high that they only just pay the interest rate, they never pay the debt down. And because they don't pay the debt down, but I gave you the loan, that means that I have weight on how you vote in the UN and how you respond internationally to things and, you know, the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were talking about the 70s, 74, 75. They, uh, they, you know, our relationship with Saudi Arabia really started then. And uh, we went in, we wanted to, you know, do all this stuff. And the gentleman who did the deal, he wrote the book. So he did this, and this 76, and it was 100, $150 billion in 1976 deal to, um, to, re, uh, to bring in electricity and reestablish Saudi Arabia as a nation, not in a city, but as a nation. Roads, ports, everything. And uh, he said, one thing always rang true that I knew we had to fix, that I knew we had to do more work. When I met with the top prince, I asked him, I said, why do you have goats? And he goes, because no self-respecting Saudi would ever pick up trash. That's disgusting. So one of the biggest caveats and one of the ways they made the most money is they brought in waste management. <laughs> and then they hired only people from outside of the country to manage and work at waste management because no self-respecting Saudi, per this prince, would pick up or handle trash. Mm. And it was fascinating to see the leverage. It was fat. I mean, it was, it was, it was a crazy book that goes back to, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff in it, right? It's like 15 hours long. The two books that I, I've listened to that have changed me in, um, in how I buy, like buying local and, and, you know, and, and, and thinking things differently like that. And then the craziest one was chaos. Have you, have you seen that one yet? Mm -mm. It is the backstory of, um, of the Charles Manson murders. Oh, weird. I, I've read, well, I've read Helter Skelter, but that's... So, Bugliosi wrote Helter Skelter. He was the main prosecutor. Mm -hmm. This guy spent 30 years writing this book. 30. Wow. Um, little things that no one knew about. So there was a gentleman who, was, who ran an arm of the CIA. He left and became a, um, he became a parole officer. And he only had one parolee, and it was Charlie Manson. Uh, Charlie Manson was supposed to be in jail four different times. In fact, got arrested four times before the Tate LaBianca murders. And he never spent a night in jail. As a felon with a parole officer crossing state lines, going into Mexico, leaving the Bay Area to go to LA, 
this parole officer who's a former CIA operative who ran a division for the CIA was his parole officer and always signed off on it. Mm-hmm. The crazy stories. And the cool thing about it is, is that this guy goes, listen, I don't obviously don't have all the answers. Um, some things have been turned away. Some things have been destroyed. People just won't talk to me. But here's what I do have. And that's 22 hours of an audiobook. It's wow. huge. But it's 30 years of his life, right? And he's very cautious not to point blame or say this is a definitive X or this is a definitive Y. But, he, but it's more, it's like, <clears throat> can you understand why someone would ask these questions? It's more opposed of, I don't want to free Charlie Manson. I don't want to make him look innocent. But can we understand why we ask questions? And when you ask a question, why you want to ask? I mean, it is an art of a book of him failing and then becoming secure and how to ask the right questions to try to get the most information possible. Hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, Rogan had him on his podcast, who, by the way, is in Austin, Texas now. That is what I hear. With his couple hundred million dollars rolling into our state like a baller. <laughs> but yeah so he was on there and so i i got the book and i was uh, i was i mean i'm always interested in those um insightful topics right that 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 don't tell you what to think but instead mm-hmm. ask you to think mm-hmm. ask you to ask questions ask you to be a little more insightful and hopefully people take away from that right is that you don't you're not i'm not asking questions about i should in your head when you finish that book you shouldn't really be asking questions about charlie manson right but you should be thinking, hey, can I take this insightful thought process for my life, for how I make decisions and ask better questions to be better prepared to attack life better? That's what I would hope. Obviously, I don't know that that, I mean, conspiracy theorists would tell me to go pound sand. <laughs> be like, listen, asshole, we're gonna solve this mystery today. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that, but I'd like to just be better at asking myself questions. <laughs> That's the one thing. I don't know about you. I'd like this. How has uh, COVID changed you? Like it's made me cry a little bit easier, ask myself a little more questions and um, learn or be better at um, in moments of, of, of managing crazy stress. Like little stress will make me really upset but crazy mm-hmm. things. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. How like you're it? better at seeing the bigger picture? <laughs> a little bit. Always can be better. A little bit. How, um, how, is this, how has this moment in time changed you? Well, I feel like two areas where I've kind of noted it, and, it, and it's not, this first one, it's not so much that it's changed me Uh, but rather I had an insight kind of really distilled. Um, I've always kind of known this about myself, but you know, a lot of times people will ask you like, what is it about acting or storytelling or so forth? Like, why do you want to be an actor? Why do you want to tell stories? And the pandemic really crystallized for me 
how important the collaborative process is for me and the okay. people that I work with. Um, like that is a huge part of the artistic process and the joy that I get from the job that I do. I love the actual act of acting, um, but that kind of chemistry, that unique chemistry you get from having a bunch of creative people in the room all working towards the same goal, um, it's just unlike nothing else in the world. Um, which kind of sucks because I that's what one of the things I miss so much. Like everybody's always like, oh, well, when the pandemic's over, like, are you just going to keep like recording from home? And I'm like, well, I'm sure it'll definitely change the landscape and I will still record some things from home. But mm -hmm. nah, man, like I want to I want to get out and like work with people again when I can. So how, how does that work with them? Um, you know, you, you've been. Uh, when we first met, because there was a uh, there was an event happening here in Austin. I didn't even know you lived here, so reached out, emailed you, like I live in Austin. Like we can do this when it's not mm -hmm. so crazy. <laughs> it was like fantastic. Um, what does that look like for you when it comes to uh, getting back to traveling and um, and seeing fans or engaging with them in that one on one way? I mean, I I am lucky that we have other ways to engage with fans, be that through social media or some of the cons or going virtual, mm -hmm. but it really, nothing, nothing truly takes the place of that, like one-on-one -on -one personal face-to-face -face interaction. I'm just such a tactile, sensory people person. And I miss traveling so much, Jason. I miss traveling so much um and you were doing international travel i mean you were going lots i of was places. i was slated to travel to at least three countries this year um which obviously none of that happened um but yeah i i love getting outside of my comfort zone or outside of like the bubble that i'm familiar with like that just does it for me what is uh, what is your favorite part of, like when you go into a city you've never been there before how does elizabeth maxwell how do you tackle a city i'm like i mean i will so we got offered a gig <laughs> to do the podcast live at a casino in kazakhstan what yeah i'm dead serious Are you hold on, hold on. <laughs> it, gets, it gets worse i have no idea right no idea about kazakhstan I kind of know where it's at, but, and I know it's not the safest area of the world. So I reach out to a friend who's in the military and I said, or formerly in the military, uh, I say, hey, what do I do? Do you have some buddies over there? Can I hire them to be my security? His response is, you know, they don't drink there. And I was like, well, okay, I'll still figure it out. Because you know, they don't curse there. And I was like, Ooh, this is really gonna cost a lot of money. So I threw out a number. Like Jason Dick and I, and uh, you know, at the time we were recording at a dive bar and lounge on 1703 Guadalupe in Austin, and they just got they shut down finally. They just couldn't, the weight of COVID couldn't keep keep the doors open. But the guy who ran it, Matt, 
the GM, we always called him producer Matt because he would bring us beers and, you know, talk on the mic sometimes. And people thought he was a producer. So it was hilarious. I'm like, Matt, you don't get paid. You've got an extra job. You've got to open this bar up for me early and bring me all my free drinks. You're also a producer now. So anytime there's a sound mishap, I just blame you. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> He's like, thanks. So I'm like, I need three first class tickets. I need a thousand dollars each for us cash on the floor that we just gamble with. We don't take any of it home unless we win. We just gamble with it. Of course, we all get individual suites and uh, we'll do two shows. And I had no idea. And, and then we need uh, uh, five grand each. And I was like, that sounds right. I didn't realize a first class ticket flying from here to Kazakhstan for the weekend. That's a $28,000 to $35,000 ticket each person. Oh my God. <laughs> Did we do it? No, they're like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to pass. But um, if our budgets change, we will reach out to you. <laughs> I do find it kind of interesting that no, no drinking, no swearing, but gambling's okay. Gambling's okay. And you've invited me. <laughs> the guy who only drinks and only curses and doesn't gamble. Oh, good job, guys. You've really, you've really, you've really hit your demographic well. You know, it's, it's like, I mean, but how do you tackle? So you get to a new city. What was the last new city you went to? And, uh, and how did you, how did you, how did you tackle it? Uh, well, the, the last new city I think I went to, time has gotten real fuzzy this sure. year. Um, but I think the last big trip I did was to Ecuador and, uh, we were in and around the capital of, uh, Ecuador, which is Quito. And then, um, the, the main, and like the main push for the trip was we went to the Galapagos islands oh. and all this is, was a little bit, oh, it was amazing. And I also think it is one of the best places you could take a kid on vacation. Really? Absolutely. Like okay. Talk you to me, Goose. get up close and personal to wildlife in a way that is magical and mind blowing. And I like, I ate it up as an adult, but I could only imagine going there as like an 11 or 12 year old, like, oh my gosh. And there's like no Wi-Fi and cell phone reception. So oh. the kids can't stay buried in tablets and phones. Um, <laughs> but all of this is to say that this particular trip, you can't go to the Galapagos Islands by yourself, really. Like you have, if you want to visit, really? you can go to the main island. But okay. if you want to visit the other smaller islands, many of which are like, incredibly protected you have to go with a guide you can't just go oh sure um, okay okay i see what you're saying yeah and that so that that whole particular trip was done through a travel company and we had a guide every step of the way now that's not normally how i like to travel usually i'm like a go at it on my own pioneer and in those cases i walk as much as possible okay I feel like the best way to get to know a new place is by pounding the pavement. And I approach cities from a food standpoint. 
Like that is a huge thing that I focus on when I go to a new place. Like what are they known for? You know, what, where are the locals eating? Um, you know, all that stuff. Like I'm, I'm a big foodie and food is a huge part of why I love to travel and what I focus on when I travel. I like it. Uh, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you, by the way, I could not agree more. We, um, my wife and I spent our, our honeymoon in Thailand. We, we picked an area that neither one of us had ever been to. And then it's just, it's out, it's hitting the pavement. It's, it's taking, my, it's what my, do, my daughter says it best about road trips. Almost every place we stopped at is going to be gross and it's not going to have good food. <laughs> but the one random place we do find is so good, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I could not agree more. I mean, you have to. We we went to this. We were in this uh, at this resort, probably an hour and a half out of Chiang Mai, in the mountains. Elephant rehabilitation camps. Two of them around us. So you wake up in the morning. There's just elephants walking around. Just so you get these baskets of 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 bananas and sugar cane. Bless you. You know it's funny in the era of COVID. I, was, I got so you. emotional that you made me sneeze, Jason. Uh, and we just walk around and we'd hang out and you're hanging out with elephants and you're, you're watching them and you're seeing the babies and they're bathing them and they're, they're, they're bringing them back from the circuses and they're letting them know they can be elephants, but you know, they like people and they're emotional and they cry and they, so you've got, you know, sugar cane and you've got uh. all this stuff, right? And you're just cruising around with these elephants. And I was, I'm talking to this baby elephant. I'm giving a little bit of sugar cane and mama comes around the corner sees my wife and her basket. My wife hides the basket of sugar cane behind her back. <laughs> the semi-truck, that is the elephant, <laughs> reaches its trunk around her waist, grabs the basket, and just takes it from her. Now, if that's a dog, you go, no, you give that back, you drop it. Bad doggy. If it's an elephant, you're like, I'm out of fucking sugar cane. <laughs> oh, but it was... We walked, so anyway, so we're up there and we walk by and I see this old guy. Uh, Java, 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 Java. I go, Java, you got coffee? I'm in. He has, on the, this thack, you know, just hand-built hut, he has the most pristine, beautiful, polished, straight out of Starbucks coffee machine. <laughs> but this guy's roasting his own beans. He's got his own milk everything he's dialed so i get a mocha wife gets something uh best cup of coffee i've ever had in my life so and it's a quarter so i want to leave him like ten dollars which is what it would have cost me in america to get half a good cup of coffee and her right but both would have cost us 10 bucks instead it's cost us 50 cents you know she's got to educate me on hey you can't be you don't you don't want to be rude to him. Give him a good tip, but don't be an American flaunting money. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, we're not rich. I'm not trying to flaunt money. This is worth it to me for the quality. She goes, how about we just come back and just tip him two bucks and we'll just come back for five days in a row. And I was like, ooh, now I'm in. Right? I'm like, five <laughs> cups of coffee, but I wouldn't have known if we weren't walking down this dirt road. Yeah. 
we get into Chiang Mai, we're walking around, you're trying restaurants, you're trying food. I did, my wife saved me from food poisoning. I thought there was a squid on the grill and she's from a holler in Kentucky. And she goes, that's not squid. Those are chicken intestines. And mm. getting out of them is shit. Mm. They're, not, they're not done cooking. I was like, how do you know when they're done cooking? <laughs> it's like, the when the shit. shit's all gone? <laughs> <laughs> 100 percent um that's awesome yeah i and i i i love traveling with people that i'm close with i love traveling with my boyfriend he and i are just right on the same page with our priorities and and what we want to do when we're in a new city but i will say and it's harder when you're a woman, but if you have the chance to travel alone and you can go somewhere where you feel safe, I, I cannot recommend that everybody enough. I cannot recommend enough that everybody should do that at least once in their life. The yep. one time that I traveled internationally alone, I went to uh, the South of France, was one of the most life-changing experiences that I've ever had. And not, not only because I learned things about myself, but there's just something about being alone, not having somebody else to fall back on for company and opening yourself up to meeting locals in a way that I feel like does not always happen when you have a travel partner. Sure. Um, and I mean, it took me on a whirlwind of a trip that I never could have anticipated where I got like adopted by a group of Danish buskers and <laughs> like ended up getting front row seats into this like private busker celebration. I ended up buying a plane ticket up to Copenhagen and like, you know, squatting with them for like a week, which was not originally on my travel plan it was uh yeah it was life-changing and it's hot like i said it's i feel like it's it's a bit hard particularly as a woman to do that but yeah that would uh with a daughter i don't know how your dad dealt with it uh that would i'd be like i need to call in the morning and in the evening <laughs> i just want to know you're safe a little facetime would be great Oh, well, my parents didn't really know that I was doing it alone, which is... Oh, mom, dad, you know that, don't you? <laughs> and you can still ground her and take her cell phone away, all in Miley Cyrus style. <laughs> her mom will still take her cell phone away from her. How hilarious is that? Uh, you, I love moms like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm so down with moms like that. Like, I'm just... It's funny because I'm such the, the, the free loving, like I just love to hang out and drink beers and have a good time. And I am the strictest parent. My kid is just like, are we, are you the same person? You psychopath. <laughs> you will let me cannonball into any body of water. If I don't say thank you, I get an hour removed from my iPad time. Like what kind of bullshit is this? Like, are you fun or are you not fun? <laughs> no, like, that's a little different. There's a difference between, you know, emphasizing the importance of good manners. You have to. 
Three, three things, actually four things, with rules with my kid. One, there's only one word you're not allowed to say. Can't. Don't say it. Figure something else out. Don't say it. You need help? Help you. Do not say can't. Don't do it. Two, listening matters. Three, manners matter. And four, respect. You don't interrupt. You don't do things like that. And I, I used to like get upset and I'd be like, you know what the way to do it? You raise your voice a little bit. You bring it, because that's how I was taught, right? Dad brings his voice up. You're like, oh shit, dad's talking loud. Uh, figured out real quick. Well, I, I shouldn't say I figured it out. I noticed real quick it didn't work. But she finally got old enough to where I could talk with her and have a real conversation and ask her. And I said, I don't, I don't, so don't raise my voice anymore. I just put a finger up. I'm like, hey, not cool. And she knows that's one, that's, that's one privilege she's lost for how long she's lost it or what she's lost. She does not know, but she knows she's <laughs> lost the privilege. <laughs> but she's okay because I'm not raising my voice. She's like, I just don't like it when, you know, I just, I, it, it, I shut down. But it's so cool that I've got a seven-year-old that I'm like, this is the only relationship you didn't, you're not going to choose. Well, her and mom, right? This is the relationship you didn't choose. You're stuck with us. So I spend a lot of time, maybe a little too much time, asking how I can be a better parent, sitting down, letting her know at the end of the day where I failed and how I'm going to work to be better. And uh, it's interesting to see the feedback from a seven-year-old because it's not what I think people expect, which is, I want more candy or I want this. I want a pony. <laughs> uh, it's when we were at a, we're driving, we stopped in, a, in, in Destin, Florida to stay at a hotel, at a pool right on the ocean. And the, and the beaches were closed, so we're in the pool. And we order some dinner and we go down to the, you know, they don't deliver it to the room. You gotta go down and pick it up, totally cool. And uh, this gal is there, she's a bartender. She goes, hi, we're chatting with her and order the food from her and place the order and I order a beer. And we, you know, and she looks at Harper and she goes, what would you like? And she rattles off everything on the list. I mean, all the juices, sodas chocolate milk and she goes it's late could i just please have a water thank you and this gal's like i'm sorry who's this kid what's going yeah. on <laughs> and you know and i get these proud moments i'm like that's 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 my kid yeah, yeah that's the kid who knows what time it is and knows we have a big day in the car tomorrow and is not ordering chocolate milk yes at the same time there's a little part of me this really immature side of me that I don't let her see. It's like, damn it, order the chocolate milk. You're <laughs> Come on. Jason, do not steal her childhood. Don't. <laughs> don't. There will be plenty of opportunities for chocolate milk. That's, that's, that's what I believe as well. Plenty. Plenty, plenty. And, and not that this, you know, your podcast is about parenting, but... No, it's fine. I, it's do, about I do love it when I hear stuff like this because are you the parent at the end of the day? Of course, it is your job to keep your child safe. And yep. there are so, just some things that are always going to be, why? Because I said so, <laughs> um, you know, but I feel like we are guilty as a culture of not 
affording our children enough respect and autonomy and communicating with them as little human beings instead of like, I, you're just my kid. You're just a kid. Yeah. And it makes me really happy when I hear parents treating their children like they are little human beings instead of just just kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up in that world of just kids, right? I mean, early 70s. Uh, I, I remember a birthday party. Was I in the first grade or kindergarten? But it was at a bar because, you know, it was a birthday. My parents were drinking, obviously. <laughs> the bar, it was, in, uh, it was outside of Clancy, Montana. And uh, the clown showed up at the bar. My dad gave me $2 in quarters, sent me over to the Miss Pac-Man machine or Gallagher, whatever it was. And the clown did his tricks for me for 10 minutes. So I don't know how much that clown made. Probably not a lot. It was like, you know, 78. Four clowns like, five bucks. Damn it. <laughs> and then I had two bucks and quarters. And then he ate fried chicken and, and drank Oli or Rainier or Budweiser or whatever he was drinking at the time. Because guess what? I was just a kid. Just a kid. Sit down. Shut up. You're a kid. Be quiet. I remember having to ask permission to enter the living room when adults were talking. Can I come in and listen? I remember as a kid never being in my parents' bedroom, ever. Mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. daughter walks in when I'm taking a deuce. She's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like hey, asshole, <laughs> little room, get out of here. <laughs> I, I mean, it, but I also, I embrace that, right? And it's like, she told me today, it was so funny. She goes, hey, I know you're doing a podcast. And I go, yep. She goes, tell the guest hi for me. I'm like, I will. <laughs> she goes, when you get done, it doesn't matter what time it is. You know you can always come snuggle me, right? Oh. And I'm just like, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. She goes, well, you are leaving for work tomorrow. You know, you got a big drive. Or you got a big flight, you had a flight, you'll be gone for a couple of days. So, you know, if you want to hang out with me a little bit more, that'd be great. <laughs> I know it's, but this is also, those are moments like that, that, you know, I didn't get to have with my parents. Right. Um, so I, I mean, you know, glasses half full, the sun is shining. Uh, I would say we're, we're in tune for a better, more emotionally intelligent base of children that are going to help run this world and make it better. Uh, not saying our parents were bad in any way, shape, or form. I would just say that uh, we've been able to learn more at an accelerated pace mm -hmm. with more opportunities than maybe they had uh, because there was, what, four channels on TV? There was no internet, right? <laughs> Uh, the phone you had was the phone you kept because phones were super expensive because AT&T uh, <laughs> owned every phone line. <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating, you know, to see where kids can come and be and go and, and what that looks like. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future because of that. I really am. Yeah, there's, there, I know a lot of awesome people in my own generation, but 
I get really excited by my friends who are parents and seeing how they're raising their kids. And I'm like, I don't always feel like things are going to be okay right now, <laughs> but they give me hope that things will eventually be okay in the future. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I agree. I think so. I think it's, it's tough now, but I think the future, uh, if we keep communicating, if we're, if, you know, we keep staying good at communicating and understand that we're not going to be perfect, admit our mistakes, right? And embrace them and show them how we made the mistakes versus hiding them and saying, I'm a parent, I'm perfect. I think we can win. I don't know. I think we can. Question for you when it comes to the movie. When you see certain things, when it comes to special effects, are there times that you look at it, not necessarily this movie, but any movie, and you're like, that does not look real. And then somehow in post-production, there's a magic that happens and it looks super real. Or I mean, does it look just as real to you as it does to us? No, I mean, that happened to me multiple times in, in this, you know, film. I, I think some of it is, is the magic of post-production. Some of it is the magic of camera angles and lighting, which I am not seeing what the camera's seeing. Sure, but sure. Um, the, the chainsawing of the, you know, dummy that's supposed to be me that happened earlier in the film, mm -hmm. I, I was like, oh God, it's gonna look so cheap. Like, this is so obviously not me. <laughs> and then when I saw the completed film for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh what you see, it looks exactly like me. Like, that's so good. Or there's a decapitation scene yeah. where, yep. uh, yeah, Kelsey's character and I, but, you know, take a pair of garden shears and we decapitate a guy. And it's like, what I'm seeing from my point of view, again, I was like, oh man, I don't know about this. Like, this looks like sea level, like horror special effects. And then again, you see it from the camera's point of view with the color corrections, with the specific angles that are meant to hide the limitations of the special effect. And I mean, I can honestly say, and I think that this is true when you're making any indie film, in the back of your mind, you're always like, oh God, is this going to come together in the end? I don't know, I don't know. Fingers crossed. And I really, with this movie, I really had no clue what I was going to be in for when I went to the premiere. And I was so pleasantly surprised. <laughs> like, I was so impressed with, so with how it turned out. It, it, it genuinely exceeded my expectations in, in an awesome way. This is a really fun movie to watch. It really is. It I mean, is. With all the sound and everything going on, it's a very, very, it's a fun movie to watch without the sound. I'm catching myself looking over. It's very fun. Uh, I, 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 professional question. I hear about, and I've read about people, new and old, right? Underacting or overacting for the camera. But also this idea that you just can't say lines that there's a point of building yourself up so the camera captures it. it I've, had it I've had it explained to me this way. 
when you watch a baseball player throw a pitch and they throw it 98 miles an hour and it's on TV, you see the ball move. And you're like, how'd that guy miss it? I saw the ball the whole way. But if you're playing baseball and that pitch is thrown, you're like, I'm sorry, can you throw the pitch? Like, it's already in the pitcher's glove. Like, the guy threw the pitch 10 seconds ago. 98 miles an hour, champ. Super fast. <laughs> you just got to, when the guy moves his arm, you just have to swing and, and hope you make contact. How, um, how do you, whether it's a, a crazy, fun horror film like this, or let's say a drama, how do you measure to where you don't overact in your fear or excitement in showing it, but not underact to where, for lack of a better term, the camera can't capture it? Well, every actor is going to be different. I would mm -hmm. say for me. Hold on real quick. There goes, he's got all oh, yellow is. teeth. Yes. So, yes. click. Hey, hey, welcome to Supercuts. Can I take your order? I'd like a little off the top, please. Oh, I have two girls who can get that for you. Two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> two. <laughs> Ta-da! Wait for the spurt. Wait for yeah. it. Wait for it. There we go. I love, I love go. your two faces when you see the spurt. Because you're like, hmm? Is it spurt? There's, I don't know how many times you did this scene, but there's this look that I see from both of you that goes, is it going to spurt, Kat? Bless, that's disgusting. Also, we did a job. <laughs> well, we only did that scene once because there are certain effects that you can't do multiple times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're on a bigger set with a bigger budget and you can have more than one dummy made, you know, but. Sure. Yeah. We were limited. Uh, it was kind of like you had to get it right the first time. Fingers crossed. I like it. I like it. So, so back to the overacting, underacting, trying to find that, especially in a horror, slasher, comedy, genre-esque kind of piece, which is traditionally relied on gross, gross overacting for lack of budget. You didn't seem to do that here. Well. My, my personal struggle as an on-camera actor is, is that I have a very expressive face and a very expressive body. Mm -hmm. And that's just naturally. And then the fact that I did ballet growing up, which you're, you know, you're pantomiming when you're doing the story ballets. Like that's the only way that you can convey emotion in the story. Um, and, you know, I was trained in theater, in, in school. All of these things kind of compounded to where my Achilles heel, I've always had to fight against that. Okay. Um, having an expressive face for on-camera acting can be not a good thing. <laughs> because right. like you said, the camera picks up on things that when you're watching it with your naked eye, you don't necessarily catch on to. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I'm doing on-camera work, what I am constantly telling myself in the back of my mind is, 
you did your, your research, you did your prep work, you're emotionally intelligent, everything is there, you don't have to force anything. Like if you just think something, it will register on your face. You don't have to show the audience that you're thinking or feeling something. Like if you just do it, just trust that if you actually feel an emotion or you actually think a thought, it will register. You don't have to project it. And is there a part of that? Sorry to interrupt. Is there a part of that where music comes in that brings the audience in so you don't have to? Like, not that ballet doesn't have music, right? But ballet's missing the up closeness. So you kind of mm-hmm. have to really be expressive, right? Plays the same way, right? There's not a there's an orchestra pit there and they they play music, but it's not the same as a film where a film builds you up to something. And I'm hyper focused on where the buildup is. Does do they let you hear the music prior or during it all so you kind of know where those buildups are to control or be more expressive? I've never gotten that kind of info. I don't know, maybe other actors who have a, a bigger hand in the overall production process, like maybe if, if an actor is an executive producer of a film that they may might have access to that kind of info, but that is definitely not something that we are normally privy to. Okay. But I agree with you in that I think that the the score of a film is incredibly important to the emotional journey that the audience goes on. And I mean, I think that was my biggest pet peeve in in college when I was doing student films mm-hmm. is that music and, the, and a film score was invariably the thing most neglected yeah. in student films. And when really, and even in indie films too, um, when having a good score can be the thing that tips you over the edge from being a mediocre movie to a good movie. Who's the Vincent, so I forget Vincent, I forget his uh, film director, did Brown Bunny, um, did uh, Rabbits, something Rabbits. Uh, Chloe, uh, I forget the female actress's name. She got, there was a big controversy with Brown Bunny because in the end there was a oral sex scene that she actually performed fellatio on him. And he was the um, that main actor, the writer, director, but there was no music to it. So very seventies, early seventies esque, right? The first ten minutes as he's driving somewhere. Well, there's just the car noise. There's no conversation. There's no thoughts coming out from the director, from the main character, and uh, and there's no music really in the whole film. Hmm. And I remember, like, it, it removed me so much. It showed me my addiction to music, right? Showed me my addiction to how, mu- how much music plays a point in my life to where I hear certain songs and I want to have a beer. Or I hear certain songs and I want to hug my kid. Or I hear certain songs and it reminiscent of, 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 of college. I mean, Toad the Wet Sprockets, Nancy, is still my favorite song of all time. Is it a great song? No. In fact, one could argue it's horribly written. Uh, I mean, they ask you, which is my closing line in my main email, you know, do you bend your words like Yuri Geller's spoons? And I'm like, all right, how many people know about a 1977 mentalist from That's Incredible that could hold a spoon and pretend that he was bending it with his mind? I mean, let's be real. 
This is bullshit. But you've got that in a song. And it's, it's told to wet sprocket and it's so surreal in that capacity, right? That it brings me back to college. It brings me back to this kid that's all of a sudden bragging, like I, I read Pablo Nuera. <laughs> like, okay, who's that? And you're like, exactly, man, I'm so smart. Galleries <laughs> and woo, man, I'm on it. But it, it, it brings you in and those movies didn't do that, that especially that Brown Bunny didn't do that to where uh, people walked out of it and came. Uh, I watched it in the US and I jokingly said, which was hilarious, I jokingly said, uh, this movie's so bad, I want other people's money back. <laughs> and, the, and I said it kind of loud to my friend, not knowing, you know, the movie's over, not knowing I was talking so loud. And everyone in the theater erupted. You know? <laughs> and the theater gave us all our money back. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's what, 1998, 1999? I forget when Brown Bunny came up, right about there, maybe a couple of years later. But it was hilarious because of that. Big, but it showed to me <clears throat> how important music was and the journey that music can, 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 can take you on. And I wonder, outside of film, when you're traveling with your boyfriend or when you're traveling by yourself, what is the music you rely on in the silence of a car or is it a podcast or is it a book what do you rely on in the silence um where it's not necessarily i mean conversation can happen right i mean this podcast is built on the idea that it's the holidays planes trains and automobiles on thanksgiving day comes on everyone knows the movie but everyone has their favorite moment and you will stop cooking and you will stop talking when one person says, this is my scene, and you're like, what's your scene? Let's go. And then you watch it, everyone laughs, and you've got a story about someone that reminds you of this, that reminds you of that, that does this and does that, and you're like, yeah. What part of the trip, what part of the music plays or podcast or whatever it is plays, and then, and then um, what is that music or piece that drives you? Well, you know, you're, you're, I like, you're like, you know, Jason, you could ask a shorter question. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just sitting here thinking like, my answer is going to make it seem like I don't agree with you, but okay, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I, I think music is so instantly evocative of emotion and memory, but funny enough, when I am still or when i'm a, like you're in motion because you're traveling somewhere but it's like that's you know you're you're in the process of traveling i actually a lot of times lean into the silence because mm -hmm. i do i do really good thinking when i'm driving or when i'm flying and it is so rare for me in my normal day-to-day -day life that I have moments where I can be still and be silent and just kind of let my mind wander. You know, it's like, there's always something to do. There's always a to-do list. There's always work to be done. And there's something I actually really enjoy about those rare times when I'm 
driving or flying somewhere that I like not doing anything, not listening to a podcast, not listening to music, not watching a film and just letting my mind wander and like seeing where it takes me. What has given you that confidence? Because I'll be honest, I, I love that answer. And I agree, there's a lot of times when I like to let my mind wander. But I can also say that a majority of people don't have a confidence in themselves or in their mind to let it wander. Right? There's like, you want a stimulus because if I let my mind wander, what am I, what dreams am I going to have? What things am I going to come up with? What ideas? Where will I be? if I let my mind wander versus the security of where I'm at and staying trapped here. And I'm okay with it because I know even in misery, there's comfort in misery because the misery comes every day. There's comfort in knowing and going to a nine to five job because at nine I go to work, at five I'm off work. And you are opening up yourself to your mind, the most egotistical, aggressive piece of machinery that's ever existed. Think about this. The mind gave itself a nickname, the brain. If you give yourself a nickname, you're an asshole. You go around and you're like, I'm the Emax, bro. And you're like, Emax, who gave you that? You're like, I gave myself Emax. I'm Emax. You don't know I'm Emax? I'm Emax or the Max, bro. I travel the world. I do voiceover. I'm Emax. I'm also a great actor. I do film. I do TV. I'm Emax. People are like, don't call yourself Emax. You gave yourself a nickname, that's bullshit. However, the mind named itself and went, we're the brain. That's how cool I am. And to let that piece of machinery run wild, generally speaking, terrifies people. So how did you get comfortable in letting your brain run wild? Um, couple things. I think that if I had to name what my real life superpower is, it's probably a somewhat unfounded sense of confidence. Ooh, I like that. All right. I've been confident my whole life. Um, inexplicably. So I've got your album name and your first song. Sense of confidence is your album name and inexplicably is your first song. And I can't even pronounce that <laughs> word correctly. I'm writing that down. Get it, um, and then I, I mean, I also think that the very act of being an artist forces you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Okay. Like, I don't think that you can be a successful, innovative, evolving artist if you are not constantly forcing yourself to be uncomfortable. I like that. Um, and... I guess I just, I'm, not to sound like a dick, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with who I am. Like, I try to live my life in a way that I don't have regrets. And, and I try to live my life in a way, my mom taught me early on that, that the only person you ever have to live with or answer to is yourself. And so to keep that in mind, whenever you make a decision that like, wow. ultimately at the end of the day, you have to, you're the only person that has to live with yourself. Stop impressing me. <laughs> Start working on you. I, no, that's awesome. What a mom. And, Shout out to mom. Yeah. My mom's awesome. I'm very lucky daughter. 
Um, but I think all of that has just combined to make it where I'm, I'm pretty happy with the person that I am in this life and, and how I inhabit this life. And so I like letting my mind wander because I like being surprised by my, my brain. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree. I, I would hope that more people do it. Last two questions uh, as the movie has ended and uh, you're, you're a busy person. Um, one, uh, what, what does the rest of, of, of 2020 hold for you? Oh man, I wish I knew. Okay. <laughs> I have never been so uncertain about how my life is going to unfold as I have this year. Like things are just so far outside of, of what I've ever known life to look like. Um, so really I'm just trying to, you, you know what? I honestly want more than anything right now, Jason, is I want to, I want to see my family. <laughs> like that is what I hope 2020 holds for me. I hope that I can make it home for one of the big holidays and like go home for a substantial period of time, not do the whole, like, you know, I'm going to fly in for four days around Christmas and, you know, take off. Um, yeah. And we, you know, your family's safe with the fires, everything, right? Yes. Thankfully okay, th this particular round of fires, they are, uh, North of significantly, good. they're getting a lot of the like smoke and ash, but they're not in any, immediate danger good good that's good to hear uh last question you uh you travel the world you uh, you talk with different media agencies you do press tours you're, you're engaging with uh with, with with fans you've done this podcast twice <laughs> you're the only podcast I've ever done twice in my life <laughs> oh, we're gonna make it three we're gonna do three uh one obviously I would love to invite you back um to do this podcast again you're you're great you really are but um where where do we rank where's the podcast rank and, and don't you don't have to give me flattery where do we rank and what can we do to be better more importantly, what can we do to be better for interviewing? Because it's only me. So when I say we, it's just this asshole right here. <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, I guess it, it I mean, you, you are a great interviewer. Like you actually, like you do come like prepared with actually kind of knowing a decent amount about your subject and like what they are or have been working on so already right there you're like are you okay leagues above uh most of the interview interviews i've had in my life um and i mean i guess we could have maybe talked about the movie a little more probably you're just interesting but I was going to say, but was it like, I mean, I was also really enjoying our conversations. So. <laughs> Good. Here's, here's, here's my wish list. And if, it's, if, it's a, if, it, if we can do it, great. If we can't, we can't. I'd love to have you on again, but I want, I want, I want Jason to join us. Ooh, I will, I will Ask work him? on it. I will, I will bring it up to him. I will work on it. Um, 
he is, it's funny because he's such a talented performer. He's so charismatic. He's better at me than engaging new people and just chatting people up. But he is so shy. Like you wouldn't know it if you met him out in public, but he's got a lot of social anxiety. He's very shy. He's very retiring. Um, oh, he's right in my so- own. He's me. If you, if you know, if you give me my druthers, Elizabeth, if you give me my druthers, if you give me, like, my wife will text me. We're going to go next door and say hi to the neighbors. I'm like, okay, I'll turn on a TV show. Hey, all the guys are out here drinking and the dogs are playing. Great. No, come over. I'm watching the show. No, you should be around over there. The, there's a new neighbor. Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like you you guys would would you know probably <laughs> over this. But, I mean, I will absolutely. If not, I mean, by the way, if not, I mean, I would still love to have you on. Um, I, I, anytime you would like to come on to promote a movie, past movies, any other past movies, any other work that you're doing, even if you don't have time to come on and you want to send me a note that I can promote it to the audience, um, please do. Uh, no, honestly, I really. Um, I really respect what, what, what you do. Uh, you have been very, very kind to this podcast and, and to me in, in sharing your time now multiple times. And, uh, and that means the world to me. It really does. Um, and you're just an honest, genuine person. I mean, you really are. And, uh, and that makes it so much easier to engage in conversation, have a good time. I mean, this is the second time we really spent any period of time together. The first time was in Bobby's studio, mm-hmm, our little mm-hmm. secret studio, and the second time is here on Zoom. And yet it feels like Bobby's studio was two weeks ago. Yeah, it is kind of crazy how that works. It is kind of crazy. So thank you very, very much. Um, I say this a lot, but I, I really do mean it. You can buy a banana, it can go bad, and guess what? You go buy a new banana. You buy an avocado, and that little asshole was like, I'm not ready. Oh, you missed me. I was ready two minutes ago. No, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> but guess what? You go buy a new fucking avocado. Time is the only thing we don't get back. Time's the one thing that after it's spent, it's gone. And it's gone forever and ever. Amen. And so for you to take time out of your day, take time away from people, take time away from anything else you would do to, to spend it and, and talk with me about nonsense and craziness, it means the world to me. It really does. Uh, so thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, 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 I genuinely and truly enjoyed our first podcast experience together, which is why I did not even hesitate when you invited me back a second time. I was like, heck yes. Yes. Well, thank <laughs> uh, you. So it is a testament to you as well. And I guess if it's okay, I realized yeah. I probably should have said this at the beginning of the podcast. Get after it. Whatever um, you want to say. But I, I should tell everyone who's listening, if you want to watch Virgin Cheerleaders and Chains, you can rent it right now on Amazon Prime. Uh, or you can buy the Blu-ray copy, the collector's edition Blu-ray copy on Darkside Releasing's website. Um, and I know we didn't talk about it a heck, a heck of a lot. Uh, we talked more about the making. We talked more about the insights of you acting around it. And uh, we talked about some special effects. But no, hey, folks, rent it. 
and this and genuinely fun intelligent movie and i don't say that about every movie i've been in uh so i highly recommend it particularly to anybody who is a fan of the horror genre in any shape or form and we will um in all the in all the posts we'll tag in that it's available for rent on amazon um, i don't know about the other distribution channels but i know that uh, i believe vimeo and amazon right are uh, the two places you can rent it for i think two or three bucks i mean it's not it's not expensive and in the days of streaming you can guess what folks you can go get the blockbuster movie for 30 or 40 bucks and rent it or you can rent this and the difference is not a blockbuster better quality uh <laughs> better story and you're supporting uh theoretically i mean I, I know it's not a small business but it's a small business you're you're supporting it well i mean the writer and producer gary mclean ganaway he was a, a huge financial backer of the project too so in a way you are kind of supporting a small local businessman <laughs> i love it i love it now is the time where people email me all the time and say i'm going to get sued later in life and that is okay i'm excited for it because now my daughter sings about the first time she took a shit by herself <laughs> <laughs> um i also sang the first time i i took a poop by myself did you really uh-huh that was your song because we'll um, hear notes because uh, harper, harper harper waddled out and she sat down next to me she goes dad i did a poop i did a poop high five I did a poop. <laughs> That's kind of her song. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so kind. And I guess I should say, maybe saying that I sang is perhaps stretching it a little bit, but um, apparently uh, there was a dinner party going on yes. and I, I walked out into the middle of all of the adults enjoying adult beverages uh, at this dinner party and I yelled at the top of my lungs, poop delivery! <gasps> that is a you don't by the way if you can and i let, let's do this let me say goodbye i'm going to stop the recording stay on i'm going to tell you something all okay. right so folks yeah. listen to my daughter sing about taking a shit i love you guys i'm stopping recording and elizabeth and i talk for about 10 more seconds and you're not going to know about these secrets okay be jealous be jealous love you guys here's my daughter singing about shitting talk to you later bye Thank you.